the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Friday. And uh, being Friday means that my time with my grandson is coming to an end. We'll be taking him back uh, tomorrow to Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And he's not uh, happy about it. He told me last night, he says, I'll miss you, Pop. And I said, yeah, I know. I'll miss you, too. And uh, and, and it's going to be, like, uh, difficult from now on because he's starting school. And school, uh, you know, puts a damper into everything, so to speak. So he'll get underway in school uh, early in August. And uh, I'm expecting next time I'll see him, I'll be around Christmas time, you know, for any length of time. So uh, that's uh, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe long Thanksgiving weekend or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been a fun summer for him. He's uh, got to spend three weeks with his, his nana and his pop. Last night we went. Uh, I, I had already seen it, and so had Linda, but uh, Eli hadn't. We took him to see the new Minions movie, and uh, he had a great time watching the Minions movie. He really, really enjoyed that. So, yeah, it's been a good. It's been a good visit. It really has been. All right, Robert Steinbach is here. He's on by phone. And, of course, he is a law professor over to Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone, and uh, not necessarily those at the Bowen School of Law or the university to which they're attached. And Chris Corbett is with us as well. He is a practicing attorney. He's a fifth-generation Arkansan. He lives in Conway, and he's with us by phone today. Uh, also, so I shouldn't have made that extra pot of coffee that I made this day, Chris. I thought you'd be here and I'd have fresh coffee um, for you to drink. It, it sounds so good. I love being in the studio. Well, I didn't make it. Today. I know you. You, you know, you just got to get up early, and that stinks. To be honest with That's you, right. I'm uh, I'm with right. you on that. All right, I want to start off with a, a story I got today. I want you to listen to this, and then, guys, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, remember when you and uh, a handful of other fashion trailblazers were the only people wearing Crocs? And then all of a sudden, everybody was wearing Crocs. Well, that moment could be here for electric vehicles in the United States. Electric vehicles now account for 5.6% of the total auto market in quarter two, according to a new report from Cox Automotive. Now, that share is small. It also carries major implications. Why? Because 5% is the, quote, tipping point, 
after which EVs skyrocket from niche to mainstream, according to a Bloomberg analysis of 19 countries. It happened in Norway in 2013, China 2018, South Korea 2021. 5% is apparently the threshold where people go from thinking, my neighbor has an EV, that's odd, to uh, three people on my street have EVs now. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll buy one too. And the adoption pattern isn't exclusive to electric vehicles. We've seen it play out across tech. Uh, when a new technology as such as, uh, you know, flat screens, TVs, or the Internet uh, is first introduced, it's only used by a small number of early adopters. Growth is relatively slow, but that growth accelerates in dramatic fashion once the uh, normies catch wind for EVs that is the they're saying the five percent mark they haven't convinced me of that yet but that's what they say and in the final stages of the s curve growth once again stagnates as holdouts hold out so what's going to happen here in the uh, united states to get to they're saying bloomberg is saying by 2025 fully 25 percent of new car sales will be electric but to get here, get there, there's two main hurdles. First, the cost. The average EV costs $66,000 here in the United States, which is $20,000 more than the average price of all new cars. And two, the lack of a dense, fast-charging network is also hindering EV adoption in the U.S., In a recent survey, 61% of Americans who said they weren't gung-ho about buying an EV cited the uncertainty around finding a charger and how long it takes to charge the car. So looking ahead, projects are underway to build more chargers across the Fruited Plain. Check this out about the Biden administration. They're going to hand out $7.5 billion dollars for electric charging infrastructure to states. By the way, if you go by and back and look at history, uh, when the car started being sold, they didn't hand out millions of dollars back then from the government to build filling stations. Uh, entrepreneurs saw the benefit of filling stations, and they got into the business. And uh, those filling stations then were built, and people made their fortunes. Uh, GM and Pilot announced a partnership yesterday that would increase the number of fast chargers available in the U.S. by about 20%. So let me jump in and get your take on this. I'll start with you, Robert. You're sitting there. I know you really want to talk about electric vehicles. What's your thought about all that I just told you? Listen, I think electric vehicles are fine for the people that want to buy electric vehicles. This is why I largely don't understand this debate. The problem that I have with it is when the lefties try to tell me that I need to drive a lefty, uh, a, an electric vehicle. I'll drive whatever I feel like driving, and it might be an electric vehicle one day. Meanwhile, the car I drive now is over 10 years old. So... I don't have $60,000 to throw away on a new vehicle, but then again, I'm not like the new chancellor of ASU who is making a half a million dollar salary, uh, mostly on the public dole. 
so uh, uh, or, or now what I've talked about on your show previously, uh, the um, uh, what is his, the director of the Arkansas Economic Development Commission who gets uh, what is it eighty thousand uh, dollars from uh, a so-called foundation, which is really a cabal of state chamber folks. So it just doesn't strike me as an important question, and I don't think the government should be subsidizing it. You want to buy an electric vehicle? Buy an electric vehicle. Okay. All right. What do you think about the government spending billions of dollars for charging stations? Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely (laughs) absurd. Um, So I I don't mind government spending money on infrastructure, uh, but... People aren't driving these things, and they're and and they're well. We we got to build it out before they start driving it. Okay, you build it out, you pay for it, not me. Meaning, if the industry decides that this is a product that people will like, they've got to provide all of it, not part of it, and rely on the government to provide the other part of it. That's how industry works. That's how new products work, and I'm not concerned about subsidizing people to think that burning coal to charge their $10,000 electric batteries is more efficient than burning gas in a car. Maybe it is. Maybe it ain't. I don't know. I don't care. Well, the other thing being is that you look at buying an electric vehicle right now. Uh, was a Toyota just announced the other day they've sold out the uh, electric cars they've built. So that means when they start building more you won't get the $7,200 uh, mo- uh, about uh, money that you get from the government. The government right now has a $7,200 rebate if you buy an electric car. So we can add that up to all that money as well. I, I have to tell you, I bought when I bought my Acadia, they didn't give me $7,200 towards my Acadia. So your thoughts on this, Chris? What are you thinking? You know, my... <laughs> It's interesting when you sit back and can, can I get one? And and first of all, the price is a barrier for, I would say, a, a lot of people in the United States, a lot of Arkansans. But then they just did this F, F-150 truck. This is Your truck is like your horse back in the 1800s. You want to be able to jump on that horse and go where you want to go. But without these charging stations being everywhere, this F-150 truck with a trailer – maximum distance was 89 miles i couldn't get i couldn't load up my my canoes and and go to the buffalo river and where am i going to charge it in the woods they're going to have an ev station in the woods to charge up my truck with my canoes on the back no i'll be dead in the water i I guess i could paddle back home this idea of this utopia where i I maybe go five miles a day. I get in my little electric car and I go five miles downtown. And I, I work and get me a government paycheck, and then I go five miles back home. It's not reality for a lot of folks who like to hunt and fish, and they like to play. Work is something they do so they can play. And if you want to drive 100 miles on a Friday evening to go play for the weekend, so you worried about where you're going to charge something up? Oh, man, I think it's absurd, Dave. I think it's absurd. Uh, it's it's for some people, um, and, and it's not for a lot of people. And well, the government to be subsidizing. Go ahead. No, it just seems to me that anybody who lives in flyover land, unless you live directly in a city, like uh, 
in Little Rock, and you never travel outside of Little Rock, and all of your work is yeah. done specifically in Little Rock, you're not going to be able to buy an electric car. Look, i got to go 70 miles round trip just to get to work. Yeah, Dave, and I haven't seen a charging station there at that fine building you're in. Where well, are you going to plug that dude in? I, well, there's no place to plug it in, and there's not a charging station that I know of that's on 67, the road that I come down to right. go to work, or on I-30, right. or on I-40, or on 630. I'll tell you, yep, my buddy got him one of them fancy uh, Tesla uh, cars. Um, he had a meeting in February. You can get anywhere in Arkansas in half a day from Little Rock, right? Uh-huh. You have your meeting anywhere in Little Rock. He drove up to Fayetteville from Little Rock, had a meeting, turned around to come back. His Tesla died on I-40. Oh, really? Totally yeah, out of... $300 tow truck. Out of, tow truck. out of electricity, huh? <laughs> Some, it's, yep. Yep. There's, there's a lot of things they have to get done. We're sitting in 2022. I don't believe in three years we're going to see that much of an increase in charging stations and things of that well, nature. Well, yeah, and Dave, I had a, had a conversation last night. My son wants to go into engineering, and he's thinking about petroleum engineering, and my wife said, well, well is oil going to be here in 10, 20 years? Yes. It's going to have Oil's to be. going to be here. Yeah. yeah. How are we going to fuel the, the, the jets? You think, are we going to charge up a jet so we can fly around? How no, are you going to make tires? Exactly. How are you going to make tires? I mean, Tesla's got go rubber tires on it, right? <laughs> they don't They don't yeah, have round I, stones. <laughs> uh, Dave, I just, there's over 6,000 products made with oil. This is some kind of green new deal, utopian, gold standard, recycle all your water and your rainwater and your, your lead standard for buildings. They're looking to... You know, it's cool. Hey, it's cool. And the Tesla is freaking fast, man. I mean, it's awesome. It's a go-kart on steroids, right? right. It's a golf cart on steroids. Um, but, um, yeah, for as far as practicability, like on a farm or something like that, you know, it's just not going to happen. You're going to need well, – where's the, where's the electric-powered farm tractor? Ain't happening. Now they're right. not they're not working on that right now, I can guarantee you. Right now they're just working to be able to get diesel at a price that the farmers can afford to fill up their uh their tractors. I'll talk more about that as we go along this morning because we're gonna talk about right. inflation and we're going to talk about that it's getting hotter and hotter and it's not uh, a good time. Uh, for the average consumer here in the United States. All right, guys, let's take our first break. We'll come back. I got a lot of things to talk about today, things that are uh, issues that I know people are sitting around the kitchen table and uh, talking about. I'll tell you something else you'll talk about. If you're driving down the road like uh, Chris's friend and his car ran out of juice and he had to get a tow, who do you get to do the tow? How about East End Towing? I mean, look, hooking up uh, an electric car, I can't believe, is that much different than hooking up a gas burner. So uh, they'll be happy to come out and uh, get you off the side of the road. And and now getting you to the place that's going to, you can, uh, you know, recharge at. I don't know what you do on that. And I don't know even how you go about recharging an electric car. 
I mean, uh, do you have to prime the carburetor or the or the car engine somehow? I have no idea. Easton Towing would know all that, though, because uh, they've got the answers to all the problems you might face on the side of the road. All you have to do is give them a call. Let them help you. 501-888-8849. That number one more time. 501-888-8849. Put it in your cell phone. Okay, we continue. You know, people look at uh, what happened with the Trump administration. We had, uh, we were energy independent. We had one of the fastest growing uh, economies in the world. It was blowing and going and coming out of the side pipes. It was all flame. It looked like a, you know, fuel injected funny car running down the quarter mile. Then you change your view and you look at what's going uh, on in the Biden administration and uh we're we're in you got Biden over in the Middle East begging for oil, also talking to uh, Venezuela and some other, uh, you know, despots out there about getting oil so we can bring the price of gas down and uh, back to the Jimmy Carter era, in fact. And then you got a, uh, you know, a uh, uh, an economy where uh, we're looking at inflation the latest the consumer price index was 9.1 and then the latest and this came out yesterday the the latest uh, producers uh, index was and this really blew them away they were not expecting it 11.1 and uh, you know we're in the double digits there and that's what the producers are paying now. So in a couple of months, you're going to see that on the shelves of all the stores that uh, you go and buy your groceries at and your Christmas gifts at. Get ready. Not going to be a cheap Christmas this year. So, But why is that happening? You know, it, it may have to do with the smarts of the people that were on the Trump administration versus the smarts of the people uh, over on uh, the Biden side. Uh, the Trump people were businessmen. That's who Trump put in place to take care of things here in the, the, our country. Let's take a look at what they have uh, in the Biden administration. 62% of Biden appointees who deal with economic policy, regulation, commerce, energy, and finance have virtually no business experience. Got a lot of Ivy Tower experience, but on the ground, really dealing with it experience? Uh-uh. Uh, only one in eight has extensive business experience. The average business experience of a Biden appointee is 2.4 years. The median years of business experience is zero. They can't figure out a median because they don't have enough business acumen to even figure it out. The vast majority of the Biden economic commerce team members are, are, are professional politicians, lawyers, community organizers, lobbyists, or government employees. And uh, it, it's crazy. It was found that the average Trump cabinet member 
had 13 years of business experience, and the median years of experience was eight. So it's just, this is, this is the problem. There's a big difference between having run businesses so that you know uh, the you know the rules, the regulations, and you know the philosophies, and you know what makes a business run and hum versus somebody who's you know all they've done is uh, read a book. So uh, I rest my case, Robert. I rest my case. Did you read a book on how to be a lawyer? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I have not. I did, you know, and I haven't been a lawyer. That's why I have you and Chris on my show. That's right. So that you can. Mediocre, exp- I had some mediocre crackpot on Facebook once criticize me um, because uh, I'm a professor, uh, and he said, "Well, he was a successful businessman, having." operated several businesses, only one of which he would actually tell me the name of. I don't know why you wouldn't tell the name of a business if it was successful. And then having gone to become an employee for a big pharma uh, pushing drugs, uh, which of course we know has resulted in things like uh, overprescription and the opioid crisis and other uh, wonderful outcomes. Um, so uh, I guess the, the question is, what kind of business experience does a person have uh, because just because you work in business and just because you uh, own the business. We're going to get back to Robert and to Chris. Let me remind you, though, first that Hillcrest Designer Jewelry is uh, going to open up today at 10 a.m. They'll be waiting for you to stop by and save you money on whatever jewelry it is you're looking to buy. If it happens to be a, a wedding set or perhaps an engagement ring, Eric over at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, I tell you, he's going to save you about 20% on that over every other jewelry store here in the city. And because of that, you know, you go on, uh, you get married, you get 20% more that you've saved off the rings, which typically is not just a drop in the bucket uh, to go out on your honeymoon. Keep that in mind. They also do custom designs. They got plenty of things in the display cases that you might want to see and pick up and head out with. They, you come in with an estate uh, jewelry, you know, your mother, your father, you know, several members of your family. Uh, Eric's going to look at it. He'll appraise it for you, tell you what it's worth, tell you what he would offer you for it. And you can take his offer or you can use that plus a little extra he'll throw in to buy jewelry that is right there being displayed at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Stop by and talk to Eric. He's been in this business for 40 years. He loves jewelry. He loves designing jewelry. He loves selling it, repairing it, and taking care of it. You can find all the different kind of stones that you want at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard over in Suite E. Open again at 10 a.m. today till 6 p.m. That's Monday through Saturday. And if you need to sit down and talk to Eric about a custom piece, give him a call at 501 246 3655 and set up an appointment to visit with him. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, Dave Ellswick, Dave Ellswick Show, Robert Steinbach, law professor over at the uh, uh, 
law school here, Bowen Law School. His opinions are his and his alone, not necessarily those of the school or the university. And Chris uh, Corbett is here with us as well. And uh, going back to what I was pointing out, you know, I I have to say this, though, and and Robert, I I got what you're saying about, you know, teachers and and teachers play an integral part. But when you're talking about running an economy, running a country, I do believe that people who have, you know, background in business are the kind of people that I'd be looking to do. Look, I've been program director at radio stations, you come in and you say, well, I went to such and such a school. I'll say, okay, what have you done? That, that'll be my next question. What have you done? Glad that you went to school, but now tell me what's your experience? What can I expect that you can do? And, uh, and why do you do it the way that you do it? That's just, uh, you know, you know that as well as I do. That's part of of uh, being able to, uh, you know, make sure that things run correctly. Let's let's move over to to Chris. Chris, your thoughts on this? Man, uh, it, you want people in the government that have experience in real life, right? You want, um, like my, my my cousin James Corbett running the block company. You know, he, he would take a business mindset to the government if he ran for office. And he'd say, okay, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that. Wait a minute, we got a truck here, can we fix it? Do we need to repair it? Do we need to buy a new one? When you make these kind of financial decisions in a real company where you're making payroll, you got 130 people looking at you, hoping the business doesn't fail, um, those are big big things that would translate well into um, understanding how a small business operates. When you get to the government, how hard it is for a small business guy to keep the doors open, right? The be- the hardest thing about a small business is staying open. So if you can stay open, you're going to make it. And when you don't have that experience and you just go to government and you think it, you know, you can put these new regulations on small business, you can make them jump through these hoops, do these LLC filings, your tax filings, your permit filings, your business license filings, and all you do all that and you haven't made any money yet. Yeah, think think about what Schumer is saying. All right, he they're talking yeah. about this slim down, build back better, and they, it took a big hit yesterday from Manchin when he said he wouldn't vote for any kind of tax increases. Uh, Schumer said they want to raise billions of dollars in new taxes off of small businesses in America. You want to put small oh, businesses in America completely out of business? Raise the taxes. Yeah. Raise the cost of trying to stay in business. Yeah. You, you see the articles about how they, uh, uh, some city, I forget the name of it, dinged a couple 10-year-olds in their front yard selling lemonade. The city shut them down because they needed a business license from the city. Really? That's what we've come to when you've got, you know, you want to create this entrepreneurial spirit to get out there and uh, get a, you know, a pickup truck and a lawnmower in the back of your truck and just go make some money. I, it's uh, it's gotten out of control with this this big government and they know what's best for you. Uh, yeah, it's it's outrageous. Yeah. to think that these folks in the Biden administration don't have any real world business. Put them put them down in Rose City with two hundred bucks and no driver's license and no credit card. Let's see how long they make it. 
Yeah, see how long they last. I agree. I agree with you yeah. on, on that as well. Yeah. All right, Robert Steinbach here with us as well. Robert, I want to switch now gears again. One of the big issues that we've been talking about here on the Dave Ellswick Show over the last three weeks with uh, the politicians that are coming in is what looks like uh, a real push towards universal school choice or the money following the kids. Now, with that in that thought process, folks like you are going to play a very vital part in this because there's more to just saying, okay, we spend, let's just say, take pull an arbitrary number here because I don't know what the average cost is for a student in Arkansas, but let's just say $8,500, and we're going to start an ESA or education savings account uh, for every kid, and the parents get to say uh, to the government, okay, that $8,500, I want it to go here uh, for my child's education, and the, uh, ed- the the people are going to send it there. You you know, to be able to do just that, you're going to have all kinds of regulations and things. I mean, how how hard is it when you're getting ready to start something that is virtually new? I mean, there are a few states that have done it already, so it's not like we've got to invent the wheel from, you know, the the, the very first part of, oh, yeah, let's make it round instead of square. Uh, still... You guys have got to get involved and help uh, the politicians write up all the necessary rules and regulations so it all doesn't get screwed up, correct? Perhaps. I think there is an excess of claim of difficulty when it comes to government returning money to the public, but it seems always easy for a government to take money from the public. It's sort of like insurance companies. They're very good at taking your premiums. They're not so good at paying out. I remember when Dan Sullivan, uh, Senator Dan Sullivan, uh-huh. of course, and others sought to return money to the handful of small businesses, and they were all small businesses, who were fined for not acting as mass police during the beginning of the pandemic. And while I think the motivation probably was good for those laws initially, the implementation was poor, and fining small businesses for not acting like mass police, I think, was a mistake. And Dan Sullivan and others, of course, uh, said, well, we should return that $50,000 total, not per business, total. And the state government said, oh, well, it's way too difficult, way, way too difficult to return $50,000. And so it's, it, government uh, is much like, um, as I said, insurance companies, very good at taking your money, not quite as good at returning it. Yeah, think about that, $50,000, and we've got $1.6 billion sitting in the uh, surplus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would think that we can return fifty thousand dollars pretty uh, pretty readily, and they should go back and revisit that and take care of that first. So, you don't think it's going to be all that difficult to rearrange uh, uh, education in Arkansas to to benefit universal school choice? No, nope. no, nope. I don't think any of these issues, frankly, are that difficult to implement. But that those are uh, are the claims often of those seeking to maintain the status quo 
when it comes to the distribution of money. Oh, it's so hard. It's money. It's one of the easiest things to deal with because you write a check. That's all you have to do. All right. What's your thought on that, Chris? Are there, do you think that it's going to be a difficult you know, plow to get it done? Yeah. I think it's going to be difficult for the for the uh, legislature to do it when they're influenced by the superintendents. They're taking away money from these failing public schools. They're going to scream murder. And um, but that's where they but that's where they're at. You know, they're failing. Uh, they're failing these students, and, and parents are pissed off. Uh, you know, these school boards are shutting down parents from being able to talk. And um, you've got uh, kids uh, scared to go to school. Uh, you've got indoctrination going on. You got these rainbow flags on every door in K through 12 in some other states. It's not happening here in Arkansas. The parents are like, "Hold up, I want to say what's being taught in K through 12." This isn't like college where you get to choose which class you want to you want to go to. It's K through 12. You don't go to school. You, you, the parents can get arrested, right? And um, so, yeah, that's seven thousand seventy bucks needs to follow that child and the parent. The parents' way of fighting back and saying, guess what? I'm not sending my kid there and you don't get the money. Um, you know, in, in Texas, they have these public school advocates. If a student needs extra uh, time on a test or extra <clears throat> um, uh, schooling or an extra class, and they don't get it, they request it from a, a principal in a public school, they call the school advocate, the, ch- the child advocate, and they handle it. And they come in there and they go, hey, if you don't provide this, we're going to file um, some paperwork uh, to show you're not complying with school uh, school orders, and they'll pull federal funding. So they've got some, some hammers in Texas that Arkansas doesn't have, and so now it's going to land in the students, I mean, the parents' prerogative. They're going to say, hey, let's, let's do something about it. Let's move our kid. So if they've got the ability to move their child and the money, then these failing schools are going to be, going to be shut down. How important, and, uh, you know, a lot of people have zeroed in on the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court, which returned Roe v. Wade uh, uh, and the whole idea of abortion away from the federal government and back to state governments. Didn't make it illegal. They just said it's up to state governments now, and it's up to federalism to work it out, and that is being done now. Uh, My question, though, is there's a couple of— different decisions that kind of ran under the, the Dobbs. And one of them was the one that happened in Maine, where the Supreme Court ruled that if you have a religious school and uh, the state decides to give public schools X amount of money uh, f- for education, that that money must be also made available uh, to religious schools as well. You know, Robert, you, you want to teach constitutional law. I know. I'd love to see you do it over there at the, you know, the, the school. My question is, that really swung the door open for universal uh, choice in education, did it not? The opinion regarding Roe v. Wade? No, Maine. The Maine, oh, the Maine schools. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it's 
the the notion was quite silly in that case that was brought by those opposing what turned out to be the outcome that somehow government could give money to all sorts of schools except the religious schools uh, if you give money to religious schools doesn't mean you're supporting religion if you give money to every other group and if you don't give money uh, to religious schools and you give money to every other school then of course you are uh, discriminating against religion and you're not allowed to do that either uh, under the First Amendment. It, it actually struck me as a very simple proposition, but of course the left is so built into their uh, ideas that they can't even see what's uh, on the tip of their noses. Yeah, I just think it it's really going to open up this whole thing about uh, universal school choice. We'll talk more about this as we go along this morning. Got to get a break in right now. We'll come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll talk a little bit that the... Uh, the governor wants to have a special session. He's talking about uh, uh, speeding up the tax process, getting this, uh, getting the taxes lower, uh, and spending some money there. And then he's talking about teacher salaries, although that's run into a, uh, as we like, as they like to say in in England, a sticky wicket. Uh, we'll talk about that as we continue on the Dave Ellswick show. Don't forget about ICU protection, uh, Billy Mack. Does a great job. You heard Alan Kerr yesterday in the nine o'clock hour saying that he had called Billy, got the best uh, offer for doing uh, security for his his home from anybody else. He had one more place he wanted to call, but he told me off the air that he didn't expect that they were going to be able to beat Billy Mack and what they were doing. And Billy Mack was able to do it right over the phone with him. He told him, how many windows, how many doors, I want this, I want that. And he said, it'll cost you this much per month. That's the way it can work for you as well, for your house or for your business. Give Billy Mack a call and ask him. Ask him about, you know, uh, you know, door and window sensors. Ask him about cameras, 1080p cameras, clear cameras, not A&E cameras from uh, the 1980s or 1990s. We're talking about as clear as your direct TV signal is if you've got satellite or dish, if you've got uh, satellite television. All you have to do is call Billy Mack at 501-205-1333. That's 501-205-1333. And remember, you pay for the service, but you don't pay for the hardware. That's ICU Protection. Back with you, Robert Steinbach, Chris Corbett with me today by phone here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's talk about the uh, the governor wants to have a special session. Uh, every elected official I've talked to are like, we don't need to have a special session, but if he's going to call it, we'll be there for a special session. Uh, he's talking about using some of this uh, surplus money to, um, you know, kind of quick fire the the reduction of taxes here in the uh, the state, and then had talked about a teacher's salary increase, but uh, that. Uh, has kind of fallen uh, by the wayside. It, and, and the Democrats are trying to say, see, the Republicans don't want to give ever, anybody a, uh, a pay increase. Uh, let's, I had Mary Bentley on, State uh, Representative Mary Bentley on Tuesday. She said over the 10 years she's been in, she's voted for pay increases every two years. But the problem is, and 
she just found it out here in the last couple of years, is that when the money gets to the the school systems, the superintendents don't give the money to the teachers. They use it for other things. So uh, what do you guys think about a special session? Do you think that it's something that's needed? And we'll start off with you, Chris. Maybe we lost Chris. Yeah, we may have. So let me come back and and ask you, Robert, what do you think? You know, I think there are a number of moving parts here. Uh, I support uh, raising pay for teachers, but I also support a lot of other things. And to do it in a special session uh, when the governor has effectively announced that he's running for president looks like a rather political move Mm -hmm. uh, um, instead of a substantive move. So I'm skeptical because of that. And I would like to see the legislature look at all their priorities and include amongst them uh, giving raises to teachers. So process matters. And I think the process here uh, was not a great process. And I think that's why that idea died on the vine. Mary raises a very important point, uh, and I've said this for a long time to my good friends in the legislature. Uh, they provide too much deference uh, to local school districts when they give money, and they say, well, you know, we want to let localities decide issues for themselves. I'm perfectly fine with that, but you're giving state money. And when you give state money, guess what? You get to control how it's spent. That's the whole point of giving state money. And uh, administrators in any context, in education, K through 12, higher education, in business, whatever the case may be. If they're given money with no constraints, guess what? That money gets paid to make the jobs of administrators easier. So what do they do? They give pay raises to administrators. They hire more administrators so they can distribute the work of administrators amongst more people. In higher education, there are, over the last, I think, 20 years, the number of administrators relative to faculty has exploded. Uh, ASU just hired hired a guy that the University of Arkansas refused to hire, by the way, for the Clinton School, notwithstanding that Bruce Lindsay, uh, the Clintonista Appalachnik, uh, tried to pressure the uh, president of the um, UA system to hire this guy, um, uh, um, and, and, and good for the president of UA for not buckling to that clearly Clintonista political pressure. Well, guess what? ASU uh, up there in Jonesboro, uh, with the help of Sean Broadway, um, uh, went and hired this guy for half a million dollars a year. All right. Half okay. a million dollars. Hold, hold your thought, and we'll pick it up on the other side of the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Second hour of a Friday show. Going to be hot today, but not as hot as it's going to be next week. Next week, we're going to be in the 100-degree the range every day. Not feels like, but 102, 103 degrees every day, and then it's going to feel like 110, 112 outside. So 
be prepared for that. Let's make sure we got I've got Robert Stein back there. Robert, we still got you? Yes, sir. We got Are you all right? You sound really laid back today. You know, me, Mr. Laid, they call me Mr. Laidback. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Robert Steinbach is here. He is, of course, a professor of law over at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone. And I heard that laugh in the background, so I know we've got Chris Counts now with us again. Uh, we lost him there at the end of the last hour. And, Chris, Robert and I were talking about the... Uh, a special session that the governor is uh, calling for. Your thoughts on if that special session is really necessary? The special session? Yeah. He's way behind the curve, man. $1.6 billion in the black. What, what is going on? Yeah, there needs to be a special session. They'd have done it uh, two years ago, seeing that we were, they were collecting too many taxes for Arkansas. They've only collected $1.6 billion too much. Right. Where's that? Where's that money come? Where's that money come from, Dave? It just appears out of thin air. No, they take it directly from you. Yeah. Now I don't know how much of that, and I know that we're we're gathering in more uh, than we need. However, some of that money is, I think, COVID money that flowed in from the government, if I'm not mistaken, and the states could use it as they saw fit, and some of that money is sitting in uh, the extra funds. Uh, That in itself bothers me because uh, that's part of the reason that we've got inflation that we have right now. You know know what I would like to see the special session about? I'd see like, I'd like to see Congress or the state legislature call a section, uh, a special session, and jerk the charter of the city of Little Rock for failing to do their job in uh, taking care of crime, taking care of taxes. Uh, Little City Little Rock's failing down there. Hey, there's an article in the newspaper saying uh, crime's 3% down. Yeah, but after it went really? up 27%. <laughs> I just sent a FOIA request asking the, the, the mayor to produce all the documents he used to come up with statistics. You know, Rob and I, Rob's great with math and, and statistics. And I, I know. I, 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 what... So, so you got two people that have experienced, or wait, there's two people in the world. One's experienced crime. Guess what? Um, the, the statistics show that only half of people have ever even experienced a crime. Well, that's way to, one way to look at it. And then let's say it goes down the next year. Well, now we're at zero percent crime. These numbers are being manipulated. Well, how you got to re- you got to remember what I always say: figures okay. don't lie, but liars figure. Yeah, there you go. For him to get up on his little stage where I can't bring my gun into City Hall and say crime is 3% down, it's outrageous. I'm driving around in Little Rock yesterday, potholes everywhere. I took a picture of it. I don't know who, what who is the subcontractor they hired, but uh, on this road, no warning signs, no nothing, just potholes from uh, huge repair work being done. Um, and it, there was one little cone out there. And the cones jumped over. <laughs> I guarantee you, some people run out, run over that cone this morning going to work. Yeah, built and Your gas guzzling dually trucks knocked out, knocked <laughs> out their uh, knocked out a tire, or maybe they've been to rim. You know when oh. they when they hit it. Well, yeah, I've been I've been I've been keeping up with the uh, Landers campaign, and um, I think he's got an uphill battle. 
with, with a minority vote there in, in, in the city of Little Rock. Because really? He's a white guy. I'll say it. I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think Landers is going to get the minority vote. I'm just telling you. He's got an uphill battle. So, so you're basically uh, let me let me make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying that folks of color are going to vote for somebody of their color over their best interests. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Wow. And um, it's not going to be good for it's not going to be good for, for the city of Little Rock. Why don't we just move the capital up to Northwest Arkansas? Boom. Yeah. What do you let me ask you that? Uh, Robert, do you think that that's the, the case right now as far as the mayoral race is going? No, I think that Steve Landers can win, but I do think that, as has been historically the case, that demographic groups uh, typically favor candidates from their group. And so in this instance, uh, the current mayor will get uh, more of the black community than is warranted based on his performance, but I think that enough people in the black community and in the non-black community are fed up with uh, the current mayor, King Scott, that they will uh, vote for Steve Landers, uh, who uh, will be able to bring a fresh perspective uh, to the mayor's office. All right. I, I think it's an interesting race. I haven't talked that much about it. I'm going to be picking that up as we go along because, you know, there wasn't really any kind of primary or anything like that. So as we get closer to November, I'll uh, I'll start talking about it and we'll be uh, we'll be uh, comparing the candidates and people have their uh, you know, have to make a determination. I, I hope, just to say, I hope that you're wrong, Chris. I hope that uh, the people who are going to be voting on this, that skin color won't be the overriding disc, the you know decision uh, that they make, that uh, they don't vote for somebody yeah. just because of their color, just because uh, they're dark-skinned. Yeah, I've seen it too many times. I saw it in 04 or 05 when Robbie Wills ran for Congress in, in the Democratic primary. He carried six of the seven uh, counties, and the uh, Plassey County went overwhelmingly for um, uh, that state senator. I, can't, I can see her face. I can't think of her name. Joyce Elliott. Robbie Wills. You Joyce t- Elliott. Yeah, yeah, Joyce Elliott. And she carried one county, and uh, Robbie Wills got the, the other six, and he lost. And she's black, and he's white. And um, uh, they just they didn't get any of the minority vote. All right. Right. And so I think, yeah, and I think um, I think it's going to be sad. I think it's going to be sad for the, uh, um, the city of Little Rock. And I, I was trying to get the, you know, how, why, what is the mayor doing with, with the vacancies in the police force? And the police chief just left. No big deal. He's just out of here. Well, we'll find a new one. There's some major problems. Well, that, wait, now you missed part of the story. He put somebody in there, uh, a woman in there to take over, and then she left in two weeks. Oh, I missed that article. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, she probably got in there and, and, and saw behind the curtain. She's like, this is a mess. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, or she had a meeting with the mayor, and the mayor said, well, here's how we'll run this city. And she went, I don't think so. I'm out of here. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I do know this, is that crime is out of control in Little Rock. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, for them to come out and and paint a story about 
you know, crime is 3% down. It's just so disingenuous. It's so blatantly false in your face. Like, yeah, it's not it's not Crazy. down over the whole year 3%. It was down that month 3%, right? Oh, was that I, I, I don't know. Really? I think that that I think I that's like what that? it was. It was it's been it's been spiking over the year and they said but it went down 3% this month. Well, it's still up probably about 24%. But of course the mayor is not going to bring that up. Here's a better here's a better analogy. Two murders last year, one murder this year. Murders are down fifty percent. Yeah, that's true. Well, Robert Robert knows exactly what we're saying. You take you take statistics and you bend them to the narrative that you want to present. Is that not true, Robert? Indeed. Although I don't know how he gets around the fact that murders are up, even in the narrow band that he's looking at. So uh, it really strikes me as a difficult claim uh, that violent crime is down if the single most important component of violent crime, murder, is up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, murder is up. There's no doubt about that at all. I'll be interested to see how the uh, various uh, players in the media cover this, if they cover it, you know, fairly and... uh, and call you know call uh, truth for truth, or they uh, they bend it some uh, for certain candidates. We'll we'll have to keep our guys. We'll keep our eyes on that and see uh, what's awesome. what's going on. We got to do that. All right, let's get it first. Our first break in here this hour. Uh, I want to let everybody know that coming up at the nine o'clock hour, I got a couple of really very good guests that you'll want to hear. Phil Kirpin's going to be on from American Commitment. Uh, The Democrats are getting ready to drain Medicare. You need to know about it if you're over 65, and you need to know about it if you're getting close to 65 because they're going to tell you you got to go on Medicare. So you'll want to know what they're up to there, and Phil will talk about it. At 9.35, i got a really special guest that I'm really looking forward to. Haven't talked to him in several years. Uh, He has put together a new group called E3 Firearms Association, talks about how communities and individuals who want to really protect themselves in this time of rising crime can do so. And it's none other than Chris Peranto, better known as Tonto. Uh, you know him from Benghazi in the movie 13 Hours. He was there when uh, when the balloon went up, and uh, we will talk to him about firearms at 935 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now I want to remind you about PI Roofing, and, uh, you know, when you want to get some work done on your roof, uh, give PI Roofing a call. Uh, as I've told you uh, many times, tell you one more time, that they're the only roofing company that's ever walked on my roof uh, or done any work on my roof because they do such a good job. You don't have to go looking for a new roofing company if the company that you're doing your business with continues to do good business for you. So uh, PI Roofing will do that. They'll work directly with your insurance agency. Uh, They'll show them the problem. Uh, they'll walk uh, the appraiser through all of the different things that you got to take care of. Again, that's PI Roofing. Give them a call, 501-707-3551, 501-707-3551, or you can do the business online at piroofing.com. 
we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've been talking a little bit about crime in Little Rock. We've talked some about the uh, governor wanting a special session uh, to bring in, and I think that's going to be like August 8th or 10th. Uh, I'll have to get that exact date from uh, the folks uh, at the legislature when they're going to meet and make some decisions on this and then what they're going to spend the money on. The problem with raising uh, teachers' pay uh, that came up was a simple one, guys, and that is, okay, let's say we're going to raise teachers' pay by $4,000. Well, the the state government says, okay, $4,000. Well, you can't make it just a a one-time-and-then-off type of thing. Uh, if you're going to say you're going to give a $4,000 raise, then uh, you take that money out of the, the budget right now. Well, you better be able to take it out of the budget every year thereafter to give to the school districts because that's what they're going to have to do themselves. So I understand that uh, people want to have more time to uh, discuss this, not only for that reason, but also because... Uh, the new governor coming in, and I think we would all agree that looks like it's going to be Sarah. Uh, she is very pro uh, school choice and universal school choice at that, where the money follows the student. So why, you know, why do you want to start doing something like uh, you know raising teacher salaries again, which they've done every uh, time that the state uh, government has met? Uh, on at uh, the General Assembly over the last 10 years. But still, you know, uh, knowing that you got a new administration coming in and they want, may want to do this completely different, it seems like to me, just uh, holding off and waiting till they get together in January is the best way to move forward on that. Uh, does that make sense to you guys? I mean, Chris, does that make sense to what I'm saying as far as teachers' pay? Yeah, well, that's right. So you don't take a, sur- a one-time surplus and raise salaries because you've got to have that expenditure from there on out. Yeah, and you can't. It, it's hard to hard to take a one-time surplus and raise salaries, and that salary is going to be there every year. You know that that's interesting. You say that the way government, the way business would handle that is a one-time bonus. That well, that's what and, I've always said. You only get four thousand right. dollars. Say I'm going to give every. Uh, how about we um, we look in the school districts where uh, they need to offer teachers a bonus to get them to come to that school district uh, to to work and give them a ten thousand right. dollar bonus? That's right. Well, here's the problem. So here's to put it in perspective: six billion dollar budget. Arkansas they have a budget six around five and a half six billion dollars per year. Uh, half of that spent on education. Another huge chunk spent on health care. Yep. And when you say education, wait, wait, what do you mean by education? I'm talking about the school buildings, the upkeep, the maintenance, and then the administrators. The administrators. That's where the money. That's where the majority of money goes to. Yeah. They're paid eight times what the teachers are paid. So the folks, and and Rob would, I think this kind of mirrors what's going on in in, um, university settings, you know, college settings, is you've got the folks doing the work, interacting with the students. They get X. They get paid X. And the administrators are getting paid 2 and 3X. And they never interact with the student. And then when you call them, like I did one time with one of my children who's dyslexic and has some signs of dyslexia, I said, hey, 
I see in the state code here we need a little, I need a little help on uh, some special training on some dyslexia here. The B's were backwards and the D's were backwards and forwards or whatever. And you know what? I ran into a wall. No, no help. Well, you know what I could have done? I could have paid $5,000 to go to this access school and get him diagnosed and put him in a private school or her in a private school to handle the dyslexia. Well, we just we just handled it on our own. State did nothing. Even though they were mandated by the uh, uh, Arkansas State Code, legislature said, hey, you've got to do this. Showed that statute to some of the administrators. Hey, oh, I'm sorry, that's not my job. Let me send you over here. Yeah. They're, they're experts. At, the administrators are experts in deflecting. And... Um, Hey, see, look at get, look at what happens though if you have open choice that money that follows the students you can use that money go. to pay for them to go to a, a school or if your son right. needs a dyslexic uh, uh, work uh, special session or whatever you can yeah. use that money to pay for that it's not That's it's right. not a, a typical voucher where it has to go all to a school you can use it to make sure that uh, your kid uh, has a tutor or whatever. That's right, and that's that's real struggles that, that our Kansans are dealing with right now. And um, you know the, the the government money a lot of a lot of money spent on education and health care, a, a huge portion of the state budget. I've heard si- I've heard sixty percent is paid on the school yep. budget. There you go, and then there's a big chunk that's pensions, right? So you, you know, I, I don't have a I haven't got a retirement plan right now. My retirement is me kicking and scratching with some rent houses. <laughs> and, um, yeah, these retirement, these pension plans with state government workers, they're fat, boy. They're fat. Well, it used to be the pension that you gave to a government worker was to make up for the low pay that they had during the time that they were working. That's not the case anymore. Many of them are making no. are making fat salaries now. Yeah, let me tell you. If I walked into uh, James Corbett's office at the block, come and say, James, um, a lawyer and an engineer is getting paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars over in the government. He would say, uh, "Go get that job, son." <laughs> yeah, yeah, go pick that yeah. job up. Yeah, I I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. So what what what's yeah. your thoughts on all of this, Robert? As as we're sitting here and. Man, I just got all kinds of subjects today. There are a lot of moving parts going on right now. Well, I, I, we've discussed already in the, in the prior segment <clears throat> the uh, growth, the enormous growth in administration in education uh, relative to the number of teachers. And as I said, that concerns me deeply. There's a movement in higher education, meaning college and beyond, which call, it's called adjunctification. Simply put, a, a hiring of a lot of adjuncts, meaning people who come in, who have a regular job, and they're hired to teach a course. And the problem with that is I do believe that teaching, being a professor, is a profession. So right. you have a guy who's in business or whatever, and he comes to the business school to teach a business class or a lawyer to come teach a law class. He may know the area of business or the area of law. It doesn't mean he's a, he's a good teacher. And hopefully we screen our actual teachers to be good teachers. So they're teachers and a subject matter uh, capable as well. But how do we screen people who aren't trained and experienced in teaching 
to be teachers if we're hiring a bunch of adjuncts. All right. So hold, you might say, well, hold yep. your hold your thought. We'll come yep. back and pick it up because we've got to get a break. We've got Bill O'Reilly that's coming up. Then we'll come back and we'll hear the rest of what Robert Steinbach has to say about this program of figuring out can a teacher really teach. Back with you. Let's get right back to Robert Steinbach, our uh, a law professor from over at the Bowen School of Law, and his opinion, of course, is uh, his opinion, not necessarily those of the uh, university or uh, or the uh, the school. But uh, Robert's going to join us again. Let me remind you, though, before we get back to him about Pat Davis and about uh, health insurance and making sure. Uh, that you get the best deal on health insurance that's out there. And the way to do that is to call Pat Davis at 501-605-6935. That's 501-605-6935. Or visit him at Your Health Plan Man. That's one word, yourhealthplanman.com. Find out how you can save 30 to 50% on what you're paying on health insurance. Find out how you can stop paying copays. There's no copays in the way that uh, Pat Davis does it and how to break into those big deductibles. Call Pat Davis today, 501-605-6935. Okay, so, Robert, when we left, you were talking about making sure when you hire a teacher, a teacher can teach. Uh, explain. Yeah, we are hiring across academia and throughout the country more adjuncts, people who are not professional teachers, typically, to come lecture our courses, and they pay them peanuts, to teach a class, where does the extra money go to? Well, as I said, we're increasing the size of the the number of administrators we have, so the money goes there. And in addition, many administrators have full control over these adjuncts, because unlike full-time faculty, effectively there is no academic freedom for adjuncts. They don't do research in any event, typically. Uh, But if they want to say something that is perceived by the left as controversial in the classroom, well, then they're fired, right? They're gone. So uh, it's much easier to engage in a system of indoctrination if the people who are communicating directly with the students are under the thumb of the administrators. You see across this country, administrators in higher education say, well, such and such and -and so-and-so doesn't comport with the values of the school. What are the values of an institution of higher education? What does that mean? Uh, It's made up of a bunch of people, left and right, and other political philosophies, and yet the deans uh, and other administrators typically speak and say what they think the values are. Happened to this woman law professor who is a doctor and a lawyer up at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, and she made statements essentially regarding affirmative action, and the dean up there says, well, her views don't comport with the views of the University of Pennsylvania Law School. What are the views of the University of Pennsylvania Law School? She's a member of that law school, and you're telling her that her views don't comport with the alleged views of a building? Yeah, well, what does that it, even mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that they didn't sit down and talk to her and vet her and make sure that whatever she was going to teach went along with what they wanted taught. Yeah, with their leftist ideology. That's right. Leftist indoctrination ideology. And that's a real problem throughout education. 
and I don't see any movement uh, to correct that. Uh, and I, uh, and that includes with our legislature, many of whom are my friends, and I'm talking with them about this. What movement are we having to ensure that we have <clears throat> uh, philosophical diversity? You know, I just saw recently a spreadsheet, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars spent across the Arkansas's higher education system on a variety of diversity and equity positions. Hundreds of thousands Ooh. of dollars, if not millions, per year spent on diversity and equity. And all of that, in all of that, it, it no way includes philosophical diversity, diversity of thought. No, no, no. It's diversity of color, diversity of plumbing. It's, it's all the stuff that's not supposed to be affecting your thought process unless you buy into the leftist indoctrination, which is that you are captive to, to your skin color and your plumbing. And I don't buy into that. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a real problem. I mean, seriously, that's why I'm excited about uh, in K through 12 at least the whole idea of the money following the student to whichever school the parent wants the student to go to, because uh, that way you don't have to keep your kid somewhere where they're teaching a bunch of leftist views and stuff if you don't want them to hear it. Well, of course, the money follows the student in higher education in a sense because a good portion of the money to higher education comes from tuition, and the student gets to decide where he goes to school in higher education. Right. The problem is there isn't much choice. It's should I go left, far left, or ultra far left? Yeah, or out, outside the ballpark. Right. You know, you went so, so so far left that you left the ballpark completely. All right. Exactly. So let's let, let's let me move on. I want to I want to start scratching the surface of our next topic, and then we'll take a break and we'll finish it up for the day uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and that is uh, what's going on with our economy. Uh, things are not looking good. They're looking terrible. In fact, when you look at the governor wanting a a, a big uh, you know, a big amount of money being moved out of that $1.6 billion. There's several uh, legislators, uh, Alan Clark, uh, you know, Kim Hammer and others that are saying, hey, wait a second, there may be a recession coming. Maybe we should hold our oats a little bit, see what the economy is going to bring to us before we start just uh, throwing money around. I mean, we, we had a 9.1 consumer price index just the other day. So let, let's just go over prices since last year. This is year to year. Gas is up 60%. Fuel oil is up 98.5%. Meat, poultry, and fish, 10.4%. Milk is up 16.4%. Eggs are up 33.1%. Coffee is up 15.8%. If you want to buy a, a car, uh, whether you're looking at a used car or a new car, uh, you're looking at an 11.4% increase. Airline fares, uh, even with all the problems they got, are up 34.1% year over year. And real average hourly earnings, get ready, minus 
So, you, yeah, think about that. It's up 9.1. You've lost 3.6. That means you're down almost 12%. Not good. You know, and and you, you hear this, uh, this administration saying, you know, well, they're not saying it's transitory anymore. You can't say that after it's been 17 months. <laughs> you got to say it's right. here, and and they. But here, here's what they said: Well, gas prices have been down for the last two weeks, folks. We're looking at year to year. All right, what's what is right. what, what's gas prices year to year? And when when you look at PPI and it's a what up eleven point three percent, that means that nine point one is going up. It is not going to go down. Because if it's costing them more to make the product, it's going to cost you more to buy the product. Yeah, and a fortune to ship it. Yeah, right? yeah. I had so, we had a we had a farmer tell us this. Are you ready for this, Chris and and, and uh, Robert? You're gonna this will blow you away because of the price of diesel. He said that to farm his land typically runs him a hundred thousand dollars a year in diesel costs. This year, right, three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's real. That's hard to stomach. That's hard to um, operate. You got to have that cash on hand, or you borrow it on credit, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. Um, I don't know how some of these farmers are going to make it. Just to be honest with you, yeah. I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna do it. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, put high gas, yeah, put that high gas price and all the extra taxes the state has collected. Um, it's, it's hurting folks, and it's going to hurt for a while. This thing's not going to be correct. They're going to turn this ship around in six months. No, it'll take. A, it's going to take several years to do it. I'll tell you what. An interesting. I've got you know a lot of clients that are general contractors and subcontractors and material suppliers. They got their hands on the pulse of the economy. And um, people are worried. When people get worried, they stop spending money. And um, what's a big thing that's going on right now is a lot of subcontractors are locked in on some lump sum contracts. And the general contractors and the owners are saying, you have to perform with this lump sum project. You said you could do it for $900,000. Get it done. But it's costing $1.5 mil. Because the building costs, the building materials, the uh, labor, they can't get enough workers because they're all sitting at home getting a government paycheck, and gas costs a fortune. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be, be um, um, construction companies that go out of business. Uh, I hate to say that, but it's, it's happening. The bond companies are taking over the jobs. It's going to happen. So, you know, this, mm-hmm. it, it's going to get it's going to get uglier. You want to know what Carter gave us? I mean, I lived through the Carter administration, so what we're yeah. seeing right now is exactly what we saw during the Carter administration. As far as that's concerned, yeah. there was only one good thing that came out of the Carter administration, and I bet you you know what it was, Steinbach. Take a guess. What? I have no idea. Robert, I, I'm not sure anything. Ronald Reagan. Okay. Oh yeah, right. yeah. Ronald Good Reagan point. came out of the Carter administration. So, uh, and and I want you to think for something else. Uh, when Reagan was elected, uh, two two uh, 
two terms for him. That's eight years. Then a term for Bush. That's 12 yeah. years of Republicans in uh, the the White House getting uh, our affairs in order. And it wasn't just cutting taxes. It was cutting regulations. That was the biggest thing that Ronald Reagan did. That's the biggest thing that uh, Trump was doing when he took over. Yeah. Well, I'm look, I'm still looking for the the, the canary the carry in the the canary in the in the gas mine here. What what's the indicator? Uh, what was very interesting to me back in oh seven oh eight, when this subprime market blew up, um, I was at a tenant's house and we're fixing some stuff, and the gas man from in uh, no, swept knows what's the gas company. I forget the gas company name. Right. Um, was to turn the gas off. I just happened to see his clipboard. I said, "Hey, what's going on? What, where, where are you? Where are you shutting all the gas off?" He's like, "In Rose City, I got one here. I got forty nine. I got to shut off today in Chennault." I said, "Wait, what? Wow! You're shutting off gas. You're shutting off gas at half a million dollar homes." He said, "Yeah." I said, "They're not paying their bill." He said, "No." I was like, "Oh." That was my first kind of indication that something was going on in the subprime market. People were buying houses they couldn't afford in these ninja loans. And um, so I don't know where the canary is now, but uh, with the inflation and the economy and um, the overtaxation, the 1.6 billion in the surplus, there's some there's something's got to change. It's not all uh, dire straits here. I mean, Americans are survivors, man. We're going to pull up pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but uh, it's something to take notice of. Well, it's and, um, it's going to be aware of. Chris, you know as well as I do, and we'll talk about this when we come back because we've got to get a break in. But uh, there's 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 going to be repercussions as all these prices mm-hmm. go up, as uh, people are paying more for gas and all of that, it's going to really hurt them in their pocketbook. We'll talk about it as we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's get back here and talk uh, and finish up with uh, Robert Steinbach and with uh, Chris Corbett. Here, here's the problem, guys, and I think you know it and I know it. Uh, we, I, I, I've lived through, like I said, I lived through uh, the whole deal with uh, Carter. And, and here's what happens. People can't – they got to pay more for gas – uh, they got to pay more for food because inflation gets out of control, and that's where we're at right now. It's red hot right now. It's going to keep climbing. It's going to cost you more to feed your family, more to get to work, more to do anything. And what will happen is your disposable income, that's income that you have that you might want to do, you know, go out to dinner or you might want to go see a Travs game or you, you might want to go to the movies, that's going to start shrinking down you're going to have to start making decisions hey do i want to buy a hamburger or do i want to go see the latest uh, marvel movie and people's going to pick the hamburger you know to feed their families and things of that nature so these entertainment and secondary businesses that our restaurants and things of that nature service industries are going to be uh are going to be punished. And then on the other side, you got the Senate talking about, uh, at least the Democrats, talking about raising taxes then on the uh, middle uh, middle class businesses that are out there. And the one thing, the overriding number one philosophical economic 
point that is always made when you got inflation like this, and uh, and that is this: you don't raise taxes because it's a double whammy at that point. We're going. We're going. I can't see where we're not going to see a recession, and I don't see where we're not going to see businesses shut down. I rest my case. Am yeah. I am I you're, wrong? You're on it. No, you're on it, Dave. It's that that discretionary money is going to go away, and uh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the small businesses, hundred percent. And they're going to get they're going to get hurt. I'm just telling you. You know, they just they just hang, hung you know, on they just hung on by their fingernails to make it through COVID. Well, something, yeah, there's something I noticed last night. Rob and I were in Little Rock looking for a place to eat last night. Um, Whole Hog closed at 8 p.m. Uh, Corky's closed at 8 p.m. When did the restaurants start closing down at 8 p.m. in Little Rock on a weekday? When the crime kept going up? Yeah. So now it's like, I, I thought 9, 10 o'clock was normal for a restaurant to close. No, they were, they were, it was um, hardly a place to eat. I thought I was in Heber Springs. No place to eat at 8 o'clock. Hey, I'm, I'm, let me ask Robert this. I can ask this of you, too. Here's something I'm not used to yet. Walmart not being open 24 hours. McDonald's not being open 24 hours. I'm used to be going out, going out to the Mexican phone company, Taco Bell, and getting food if I want it at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't see that anymore. You know, the good thing when you go to the Mexican phone company is you call it Taco Bell at 3 a.m. At 6 a.m. it calls you back. <laughs> that, that 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 pizza can do that you're right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's that's uh, definitely a, a, a but i just think i don't see how anybody in america today can look at the state of our economy and say let's keep democrats in charge i don't understand right. it Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer just bought a, a Ferrari. Bought a brand new Ferrari, six hundred eighty thousand dollars. We're talking about the uh, Democrat senator here, right? Yeah. He's worth. He's worth. I don't know. He's worth forty million bucks. He's got a fifteen million dollar home. Yeah, he wants to raise taxes. Let's go, Chuck Schumer. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. What can I say? Oh, by the way, if you want to, if you want to buy a Bentley. Uh, you know, they're talking about rolling blackouts down Texas, but you want to buy a Bentley, but only an electric Bentley, uh, the federal government. And you can make uh, a lot of money because to buy a Bentley, an electric Bentley, it's one hundred ninety three thousand uh, dollars. They're going to give you money to buy that Bentley. Uh, that's just going to put extra uh, pressure on the electric companies. Unbelievable. You know why they're having problems down in Texas? Because the wind ain't been blowing. That's the problem. <laughs> well, the only reason those windmills were put up was uh, government subsidies. That, 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 the solar wind power does not work business plan without government subsidies. Period. Doesn't work. How about, how about that new study that just came out? And I'll leave us with this, guys. All of these uh, solar panels they put in over the last 25 years are, going, yeah. are now dying, and they've got to get rid of them. And they don't want to put them in the landfills because they've got all kinds of heavy metals in them that get into the water table. Thank you, really? Green, to all of our Green friends out there. Yeah, the road go. to hell is is paved with good intentions. I'm just telling you. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next Friday. Robert Steinbach, 
law professor over at uh, the law school. Thank you so much for being with us. The same thing with you, Chris. Thank you. Go out and do some fishing this weekend, and I'll see you both next uh, Friday here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nine o'clock hour. That means I'm back on with you for another 60 minutes. Good to have you with us on the Dave Ellswick Show Friday edition of the show. Going to be hot uh, today, so uh, make sure, you know, dress light, keep yourself hydrated, and know that next week it's going to be hotter. Just keep that in mind as well. Uh, We're going to be talking with uh, a special guest uh, during this uh, next half hour. Phil Kirpin's going to join us. And I had no idea that this was going on. And I'm glad that Phil can can get involved with us on this. Uh, he's the president of American Commitment. You, we've heard Phil several times here on the show. Uh, I started using Phil when I met him at CPAC, and that has expanded over the years now that when something comes up, I definitely want him to be on the air to talk about it. And this is about Medicare. Uh, many of you are on Medicare that listens to this show. I'm on Medicare. Look, I'm past 65, and you get past 65, you're going on Medicare. That's just the way it works here in this country. Uh, but already we know that Medicare is under duress as far as money goes. What happens if they drain more money out of the uh, out of the the accounts for Medicare? And that's what I want to talk to Phil about today. Phil, thanks for joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Now, the Democrats who are in control right now are trying to do this kind of through the back door. Is that not correct? Well, uh, first of all, great to be with you again, Dave. Um, there, it, there's some good news and some bad news in the last couple of days in Washington. The good news is Manchin seems to have pulled the plug on the talk of doing another massive tax hike good seems to pull the plug on doing uh, a climate change bill so you know a lot of the bad things they were going to do look dead in the water although mansions flipped and flopped a few times so you know nothing's for sure but he seemed pretty definitive on this but um, what he also said which has me a bit concerned is he said that what he what he w- would agree to do and what he wants them to do instead is to do a bill that just uh, 
has the quote-unquote prescription drug pricing reform or prescription drug negotiations is what the Democrats and the media call it and extends uh, supersized Obamacare subsidies. And if you decode that, what they want to do, and they may have unanimity among the Democrats to do it, so it may actually pass, uh, what they want to do is to take $287 billion out of Medicare prescription drug spending. Ouch. And hand it to insurance companies in the form of supersized Obamacare subsidies. And they claim, you know, the insurance companies say, if we don't have supersized subsidies, premiums are going to go through the roof and all this stuff. And, you know, of course, um, I don't understand why premiums haven't gone way down over the past two years because most people aren't going to doctors or hospitals because they're scared of COVID or because they don't want to or whatever, don't want to deal with masks or visitation restrictions, whatever. For whatever reason, utilization of our healthcare system has been down dramatically through the whole pandemic period. So you would assume, you would expect premiums should be down because they're not paying out claims. But somehow uh, they have not reduced premiums and they're threatening to raise them if they don't get, you know, another, you know, extension of massive jumbo-sized Obamacare subsidies. And so the Democrats apparently have convinced themselves that this would be a great political win for them if they uh, slash what Medicare spends on prescription drugs and hand that money over to the insurance companies in uh, expanded Obamacare subsidies. And the way that they talk about it and the way that the liberal media covers it for them, it sounds like cutting Medicare prescription drug spending is a good thing for seniors because they say, oh, you're going to save so much money, government's mm-hmm. going to make the prices lower. Uh, but, of course, you know, if the government makes the price of something lower by ordering it lower, uh, which is essentially what this is, the way this bill works, it says, it, it says you know, you have a quote-unquote negotiation where the government sets the price, and if you don't like the price, you get taxed a 95% excise tax. So it's going to be government setting the price, and you know, they're presumably going to set you know below market price, and you know, that can have some near-term benefit. You know, if the government price is lower than the old price and uh, you're paying a 25% copay, you're going to see savings at the register. So I guess that's where they see the political victory, but Anyone who thinks about it for more than a second or two knows that if you cut $287 billion out of Medicare drug spending, you're not going to get as many drugs. You're not That's get correct. New drugs developed as quickly. They're not going to be available right away. I mean, you just there's no way you take that much money out of Medicare drug spending and you don't hurt seniors, in my opinion. Okay, so, so, let, me, so let me ask this question. What I'm hearing, what you're saying, we're talking price controls here, is, is what we're talking, and if they know they can control the drugs on this many drugs, then they're going to just say, "Hey, look, uh, we're not we're not going to be able to keep these other drugs down." They'll go up in price, which probably would take the formularies from the insurance companies that perhaps you're getting. Uh, some extra benefit from, and they're just going to drive your other drugs up. So in the end, you're not going to save anything. You're probably going to end up paying more. Yeah, that's very possible. I think what will happen is uh, you'll have some drugs that they'll, you'll have some drugs for the drug company. They'll just say, you know, we're not going to sell them to Medicare. We're not going to make it available to Medicare because if we do, you know, it's going to be subject to the government setting the price. And so if somebody needs it, they're going to end up paying out of pocket for it. And, uh, you know, the other thing that you're going to have happen is, you know, some drugs just won't get developed. Uh, you know, because of the possibility of government imposing a price and you're not, you can't get your R&D back. And uh, 
So it will it will decrease investment, decrease the number of new drugs that are developed as well. I mean, the idea that price controls are some kind of free lunch where the government can just reduce the price of something and no problem, you would, you would think that by now even the Democrats would have learned the lesson that no. the world doesn't work that way. Yeah, you're right. But they appear not to have learned that. I mean, all we have to do is look at Europe to understand that it doesn't work that way. That's why a lot of these new drugs that come out don't show up in Europe for years. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, and the, you know they, they typically have to wait four or five years for a new drug uh, that's available in the U.S. right away because of the uh, way they impose price controls. But, you know, the other, the other aspect of it is that... Um, you know, they sort of get a free ride on us, right? You know, we're paying the, the cost of developing drugs. Mm-hmm. They can have governments set lower prices, and they don't get them right away, but eventually they, they get them because, you know, the marginal cost is worth, is, is, you know, it's a little bit of additional profit. Why not take it if you're the drug company? But, you know, if we go down this path, I don't think it's going to stay limited to Medicare. I think it's going to expand over time. Eventually you're going to have the government setting the price of all of these drugs. And, you know, if we're doing that, there's nobody left to get a free ride off of, and they're going to have a huge decline in private sector R&D. And then, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to say we're going to replace it all with taxpayer dollars, and we're going to spend trillions through NIH, and don't worry, and it's going to become a whole massive boondoggle, and uh, we're not going to get nearly uh, the innovation that we've had in the private sector-driven process, and we're all going to pay a fortune for it. So it's a terrible path. It's a terrible path to go down. Um, You know, I understand that there are lots of good reasons that people don't like the the drug companies, but, you know, this is kind of ridiculous as a solution. The other half of it that I find so absurd is that they want to hand the money right over to insurance companies who are like the most ridiculous uh, players in our whole healthcare system in the way that they operate. And, uh, you know, uh, for 12 years now we've had Obamacare, and they've said quality, affordable insurance, and the price just goes up and up and up and up and up. And they say, oh, the solution is throw more government money at it. But, you know, when you throw, keep throwing more government money at something, it doesn't bring the price down. It has it, it rises even further. Mm-hmm. This is our whole problem in healthcare and, and, you know, higher education, all these other things that are heavily subsidized and so the price just keeps going up yeah and the quality keeps going down that's the other thing uh that we got to talk about here phil kirpin is with us president of american commitment i mean look if 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 drug companies suddenly decide they don't want to spend money on research and development because making the money back on any kind of new drug that they develop is going to take a you know a long, 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 long time. So what's the use in doing it? Uh, then uh, that means that the patients are going to suffer because of it. Am I wrong? No, you're right. I mean, look, I, I, to me, I just think it's a very simple thing. If we're spending $278 billion less on prescription drugs in Medicare, we're not going to have as many new drugs. We're not going to have as many good drugs. I mean, just there's no it, – it's dollars and cents at the end of the day. You can't use Medicare drug spending as a piggy bank for, you know, the other spending that you want to do and then think there's going to be no harm to seniors. I, I just – I think that's really naive of the Democrats that are trying to do it. So the bottom line is they want to cut Medicare, but they're not going to say it's a cut. They're going to say they're, sa- they're saving people money, but in the long run, they're taking that money that they're saving and going to move it over, I don't know what, to, to Obamacare, basically, to, to shore it up a little bit. 
And in the long, I mean, somebody's got to get hurt here. Somebody's got to lose in this in this proposition. And it sounds like to me, it's the people that are sixty five plus and older. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing: if you really, if you really could cut the prices in a way that saves money without causing shortages and without disincentivizing research and development, and I'm skeptical that you could, but if you really could do that, keep the money in Medicare. Don't drain it out to spend it on Obamacare subsidies. Yeah, that's some of the most uh, unhealthy people in the world, to be honest with you. I mean, when you're looking at uh, when you're looking at the indigent and you're looking at people that are in abject poverty or whatever, you're going to spend most of your money there. You're not going to spend it with people in the middle class. And uh, I mean, you're going to spend money with people in Medicare because they're getting older. I understand that, but. Uh, I'll tell you what, Phil, this this kind of stuff, I'm, you know, we fought against uh, Obamacare in the first place. Uh, I didn't, I've never liked uh, Medicare. Uh, they said that it wasn't uh, wasn't going to be able to be kept in, in vogue because it was going to cost too much money. Uh, bottom line is uh, we're reaping what we sowed now, and it ain't pretty. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of a repeat of the original... Obamacare fight 12 years ago because one of the ways they paid for setting the program up in the first place was with cuts to Medicare. Mm-hmm. They got away with it. And, and by the way, AARP, which supported it back then, they support it again right now because they make most of their money from United Health, and they're an arm of the insurance industry. That's and correct. Now they're getting $750 million a year from United Healthcare, so they're saying, oh, this is great for seniors. Cut money out of Medicare and send it to uh, insurance companies in Obamacare. And it's like, well, like, what? what, what yeah, you can't even make sense of that unless you know that they make most of their money from United Health. And so this is indeed a replay, a replay or a repeat of the original Obamacare fight, and it just shows you what a total failure Obamacare is, that it doesn't work, that it hasn't contained costs in any way. And, you know, here we are 12 years later, and, they, you know, that we've got to extend massive supersized subsidies or else people are going to be exposed to these premiums, and it's like, well, you have no cost containment anywhere in this program. All it ever does is throw more and more taxpayer money at the insurance companies. Like, that's going to get them to lower prices. But all they do is raise prices and pocket the money. All right. We've been seeing it for 12 years now. Our guest, Phil Kirp. And, Phil, I'm going to keep you around uh, for the break, and I'm going to come back. I, I won't keep you the whole half hour. But I, I did have uh, a couple more questions. Phil Kirpin is our guest, president of American Commitment. We're talking about what they want to do to, pet, to Medicare and uh they're playing a shell game with you. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about David Lucas Financial, how he wants to help you about your nest egg. You know, when uh, when the, you know things were going and blowing and things were really fired up and uh, the Trump uh, economy was going along and the stock market was doing well, uh, your IRA, your 401K was looking pretty doggone good at that time. Not so much now. 9.1 CPI, 11.3 PPI. All of that is starting to eat into us left and right and when you look at everything has gone up except for real wages and they've gone down almost four percent now uh you're losing money and you don't want to lose money in your nest egg because you're on a fixed income probably so you you need to know what to do now is one of the questions do you get into silver and gold Typically, that historically, they've been looked at a way of shoring up your nest egg. How much do you need? How do you buy it? Well, 
how do you integrate it into your nest egg? All of that can be answered by the folks at David Lucas Financial. You need to talk to them about it. Learn more about buying silver and gold. It's not like buying a stock or a bond. There's a lot more to it than just that. Call 501-222-3315 because silver and gold could help you protect your assets. 501-222-3315. Let me remind you that David Lucas Financial works with one of the only regulated and licensed national wholesalers in the country. So you get direct prices from a dealer you can trust. Call them today, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, back with you. Let's fill, uh, finish it up with Phil Kirpin. Hey, Phil, to, to read your op-ed on this, can folks just go to AmericanCommitment.org and find it there? Yes, they can. And um, all our stuff is on the website. And, and you can also see a uh, link on our main website. You can see our Commitment to Seniors Project, which has a lot more information about the stuff I was mentioning about the ties between AARP and United Health and how uh, you know AARP is used as a front group by the insurance industry. It just seems to me, as I listen to you talk about this, that we've got three walnut shells with a P under them, and they're moving this around. So here's the P. I'm going to put it under this one and move, move those three around. Now where's the P? The P is still the P, all right? You just have one P, but the bottom line is they're just moving it around. And and you get well, confused taking, about where it's at. They're taking money away from prescription drug spending, uh, and they're giving it to insurance companies, essentially. And so it's, uh, it is it is a real, I mean, it is a real movement. It's not just hand-waving. Uh, they're going to take almost $300 billion dollars out of Medicare prescription drug spending and hand it over to insurance companies as Obamacare subsidies. I find that outrageous, but apparently they think that's the big political win that they're going to salvage out of the wreckage of Build Back Better. So they seem to think this is a popular move. I'm, I'm hoping they're wrong. Yeah, I think, I think they're going to be wrong if people understand this, but I'm telling you what, I hadn't understood that they were even trying to do this again. All right, now that I know I'll be yeah, talking because, about it more. The headline is, because the headlines, they say, oh, we're going to save money on prescription drugs, but no, negotiate, this is what they say. They don't say it's a price control to take money out and spend it on something else. I can't get anyone, I can't even get the media to stop using the word negotiation. I keep saying, how is it a negotiation if the government says take our price or we're going to tax you 95%? Yeah, that's not a negotiation, that's a demand. Yeah, exactly. So... All right. Let me just finish up with you. Uh, You wrote uh, that the bet by Democrats is going to be that lower prices through, quote, negotiation is an easier to explain message in a campaign context because we are moving towards voting time again in November. Then, quote, price controls cause shortages. And you say, well, maybe so. But the Republican message should be much simpler than that, as simple as my opponent voted to drain hundreds of billions of dollars out of Medicare to spend on Obamacare. We've seen this one before. The result, a Republican landslide. And uh, I mean, are the Republicans cognizant that they're trying to do this? And if so, why aren't they talking about it? 
Well, yeah, the cognizant. I've reached out to a number of offices and suggested this messaging, which, uh, you know, I don't reinvent the wheel, right? Let's do right. the same message we used the last time they did this. Um, I think their focus was on the bigger bill and, you know, the, the, the climate change title and the tax hikes. Remember, this, is, this started as a $6 trillion grab bag of every crazy left yeah. idea, you know, government preschool and Green New Deal. And it got whittled down and whittled down and whittled down. And as of a couple of days ago, it still had a big, you know, climate and tax hikes. And they were going to raise taxes on small businesses and all of this stuff. And as of really late last night, all of that other stuff appears dead, and what's left? What's left is this, you know, cut Medicare to give more money to Obamacare subsidies. That's what's left, and so I'm hoping um, that we can stop that part, too. Let's I agree part. with you. Thank you, Phil, for being with us. You keep your eye on this. Anything new happens, get in touch with me. You'll be on in a heartbeat, okay? Sounds good. Have a good one, Dave. Thank you, Phil Kirpin, our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Always good to have him uh, with us. Uh, come, we're going to have uh, local news for you, and then we're going to come back. And Chris uh, Tonto Pronto, that name should be somewhat familiar to you. He was at the Benghazi compound and fought there, and he was, you know, they mentioned him and quite a quite a bit during the movie 13 hours he's got a new group called e3 firearms association we're going to talk to him about it because uh, he wants you to know how to protect your community how to protect your house all of those type of things and we'll talk to chris about it uh when we come back after the news coming up here on the uh, the bottom of the hour very interesting what phil kirpin just explained from american commitment I mean, this is why I have these folks on for you, give you the information you need to know. And there's a, a good percentage of the people who listen to this show that are over 65 years of age because you're involved with what's going on in Washington. A lot of the younger folks aren't, and they're not on Medicare. You need to know this kind of stuff. So keep it in mind. Go to AmericanCommitment.org and read the op-ed. Don't forget about East End Towing. They're ready to help you. You find yourself on the side of the road. They know what to do, no matter the situation that you might be in. Maybe not your car that broke down. Uh, could be a problem with a, a truck or a camper. Or uh, maybe it's just you're pulling your boat and the trailer's gone bad on that. Give you an opportunity to make sure that that gets uh, fixed as well. But... Bottom line, no matter the circumstance, they're there to help you. Call East End Towing, 501-888-8849. That's 501-888-8849. Got a special, special guest being a former, you know, being a vet. I'm uh, always, you know, happy to have other vets on the air. This guy's special. Uh, we all remember Benghazi. I still have a, a sign up in my uh, uh, studio that says, Remember Benghazi, Vote Trump, uh, on the wall. And uh, joining us today, Chris Peranto, better known as Tonto, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He was in Benghazi. If you saw the movie 13 Hours, you know all about him. You know all about what happened there. We talked about it. We talked about it a lot. But I want to talk about he's moved on now, and he is take, he's got a new group, E3 
Firearms Association. And uh, you want to talk to folks out there with the rising crime all across uh, the United States about how to protect their families, protect their communities, and uh, how about you know how to go about uh, pr- you know protecting yourself. Yes, sir. I, I thank, Dave, thanks for having me on. I didn't realize I was so close to you. I just live up in Fort Scott, Kansas, so I'm not far from you at all. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you you having me on there, brother, and thank you for you know, being a veteran yourself. I appreciate your service, brother. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. We do everything we can for veterans on this show. So let's, let's talk here. Background okay. checks. How good are background checks, do you think? You know, on paper they're excellent. It's just do they do they follow through on those background checks, and that that's the problem. It's not, and it's not even the gun stores that do it. They fill them out correctly. It's just does the ATF and the feds do their job doing the full background checks or enforcing the background checks? And that's where you know we you know if you're a law-abiding citizen, the background checks work fine. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, if you're not, they don't. And that's where you know we come up with the E3 farms and the and you know me being a ranger and. And using a farm, and I know how good a farm can be in the hands of a good person. I've experienced, and if you watch it, of course, if you watch the movie 13 Hours, good people that have guns can defend good people that don't. And, That's and correct. I've seen it in the global war on terror for 10 years prior to that, too. So I think nowadays, brothers, you've seen it just as much as I have with the right, with the violent crime rate going up. And, you know, I, I'm not going to bash law enforcement because I have a lot of friends that are law enforcement, are SWAT, are, I teach a lot of the guys that do that. Uh, but we saw in Texas sometimes the law enforcement's not going to be there. And the best thing to do is be prepared and be able to protect ourselves. And that's where these reforms come in. It's just training people to be able to take them, take care of themselves and protect their family and protect the innocents out there. And that's what we need to do. And as veterans, we did that. We, we signed up to do that. Well, why can't we teach others to do that here in the U.S. where it's becoming more and more important to do so? Okay, so what what does E3 do that uh, people need to know about? Sure. Well, E3, we, we do, of course, we do the farms classes. We do the training. Myself and my partner, Adam Painshot, who is a, he's still a current state trooper out there in New Hampshire. We do the normal classes, farms, coming with teaching. We have a lot of fun doing that. It's very non-intimidating. I think that's where we lose a lot of the new shooters we need to come in, is they think they're going to be coming into an intimidating environment. And we aren't. I mean, if you've seen the movie 13 Hours, yeah, I did dance or flashlight. That's me. I was a guy with the shorts. I'm the same guy. Uh-huh. And that's the personality I have on the range. But it's also putting stuff online, teaching classes that you can just go online. It's it's hard to spend money on classes or, or frivolous expenses, I guess you could say. Granted, protecting yourself shouldn't be considered frivolous, but it, we don't have that extra cash right now to spend money on classes. So going online and being able to even just see what yourself, teach yourself. And there's a, the ability to do that with online classes, which E3 does. And then also just having a network of like-minded individuals that you can come out and spend time with and gain confidence with farms. That's part of the biggest thing is to defend yourself is having that confidence that you do generate from training and being around other people that are like-minded that do use farms, the ones that have used farms for years and 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 are have the ability to protect themselves. And being around those kind of people definitely does build your own confidence in yourself and then it wants you to go ahead and gain more training more knowledge of farms and that leads to more uh, more potential to have you you having the ability to protect yourself and okay. and that's what we do at e3 farms it's just building building your confidence up building your levels up and then being around a group of people that 
that want to be able to protect each other and, and it, it does it just it, it's like a firestorm it just generates that confidence in yourself and being out in the, uh, being out in the street and walking with confidence and becoming a hard target and I've seen with scumbags that are out there they do pick the easy target those that do train and farm honestly become harder targets on the street because they just walk with more confidence and I've seen it I've seen it with new shooters becoming becoming exceptional shooters after years of training you know, there's a lot to be said that if you can just make eye contact and look them directly yeah. in the eye about what what that will do. But let's let's talk yeah, about sure. some of the problems we got with guns in this country. We got about three guns per person. That is what I've understood here in the country, and I have no no problem people having firearms. What I want them to understand that is that it's like any other thing that you own. You got to know how to use it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's where training comes in. That's where coming around instructors like myself and Adam Painshaw, there's great instructors around the country, but especially with E3, coming in to learn how to adequately use the farm. If you just having, and you know this just as good as I do, just having a concealed carry license doesn't mean that you know how to utilize That's exactly farm. right. And, and you do have to get that practice in. You do have to be at the range and go through classes where they're not just teaching you teaching you the laws of what what means to carry and carry concealed but also how do you use that thing when it's in a concealed position and doing the stuff i did it, it has become second nature it has and now that thing is it's very easy for me to do that i have that confidence when i'm out in the street that i know i'll be able to handle myself but that only comes with training and you have to get that training and that's where e3 falls in line and you come and get the training and you get to have fun and you're going to laugh we're going to enjoy it we're going to have a good time together and at the end of the day I've seen people walk off a range after one day of doing a basic defensive concealed carry course, and they're on cloud night. I mean, they just they just they, their chins up. Their and like you said, their eyes are up. They can look somebody in the eye, and they have that more. They have more confidence. They're going to be able to defend themselves mm-hmm. and their family if law enforcement aren't there to help and help and defend themselves. Fit defend them and their family. They can take care of themselves. Well, if you look confident, I'll guarantee you, bad guys typically will leave you alone. They won't bother yes, you. Yes, sir. They just won't you bother you. On that. So when yes, when sir. when they come in to talk with you, uh, uh, real quickly, let me ask one last question here. When they come in to visit with you, do they do they need to come to your range, or do you go out and hold these classes, or how does it work? We will hold classes, and and we usually use, and that's what we try to do is private ranges. So it's something special. You you want to make training an experience, and I think it should be. You're outdoors. You're you're in nature. And you want to come out to a range that, that only you can come to as an E3 member. And that's what makes it special. And then you come out and you're outside. You've gone outside ranges. It's just a wonderful oh, yeah. day to be outside shooting. It's therapeutic. And it's, it's fitness. And we need to have fitness in our life even more so now than ever as well. So, yeah, they will come to us. You'll find out where we are when you, when you sign up to your member. The ranges that we'll have throughout the year will be on there, and you come to them if you want. And if you don't, you don't have to. But they are there, and and they will be they'll be scheduled throughout the year. And then also other events that we'll have as far as uh, we, we have you know dinners. We hopefully next year we're going to be able to do this. We'll shoot. We'll be able to shoot at the rim of the Grand Canyon. I mean that's a book cool. list for me. Just being able to do cool stuff like that. So it's not just coming to the range and shooting. It's being around nature and being in some of these wonderful areas that you would normally get to shoot at at any other range or with any other instructor. And that's what makes it special. I mean, because I want it to be special. I want to go to places that, wow, 
I get to shoot at the Grand Canyon. This is a bucket list here, and I want people to feel that same way. So it's just a <laughs> tremendous experience. You got to you got you got to make things fun, and you know, shooting here in Grand Junction, Colorado, around the Red Cliffs, uh, and then also where I live in Kansas, just in the beautiful on the edge of the Ozarks. And you live in that area, you yep, know, of course. I know what you're talking yeah. about. All right, Chris. Well, it's therapeutic. Chris Peranto is our guest. Uh, he has this uh, E3 Firearms Association. You know him from Benghazi and 13 Hours the Movie. You learned about Benghazi from that movie. Let me just ask this question of you, Chris. How do people get involved with E3 Firearms Association? Where do they go to get more information? Just go. I would go to E3Association.com or just E3FarmsAssociation.com, and you can find us there. Real easy site to find, and and you can look at my ugly mug, and you can see that I actually am not as good looking as the guy in the movie. He is a lot better looking than me, and a lot bigger. Yeah, he is. He he is. I, I, I he he played me up on both accounts, and he's a better dancer. He's I'm over three, but I, but, but I still got that sense of humor that I had downrange, and it's still the same. And, and I hope people come and experience that because I enjoy being around people that are smiling and laughing at the range. All right, Chris, thank you for the time. We appreciate you. for uh, Again, E3FirearmsAssociation.com. Check them out. Uh, I can't think of a better instructor than Tonto himself thank from Benghazi. Thank you so much. We'll let you move on. All right, so thank you, we, it's, a, it's a Friday. When we come back, I'll tell you what the new movies are at the theaters, and we'll do that in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, there. thanks for Tonto for joining us. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's always nice to talk to a former vet. Always nice to talk to an Army Ranger. And definitely always fun to talk to somebody who was uh, in an episode in American history. And he was being at Benghazi. And if you haven't seen 13 Hours, you need to watch it. It's a great movie. All right. So, And I love that he's self-deprecating as well saying that he is not as handsome as the man who was in the movie. And the guy dances better than he does as well. That's uh, E3FirearmsAssociation.com if you want to get more information on that. All right. I know people like to go out on the weekends. You've been cooped up in the office all week or on the work site, wherever that might be. And, uh, I mean, if you're outside working uh, I envy, I don't envy you, all right? It's just freaking hot out. And if you're a roofer, I definitely do not uh, envy you because that's really hot to be on top of a roof and doing that kind of work. Uh, let's take a look at what movies are playing. I'm just going to give you Riverdale 10. Uh, since these are the new big movies at Riverdale 10, you'll probably see them at the other uh, VIP cinemas in Hot Springs, Cabot, Searcy, and Batesville. Uh, the first one, Where the Crawdad Sings, uh, that's going to be a big, big movie. A lot of you have read the book. I have not, but I've heard good things about it. And I think that you'll uh, probably enjoy this movie. It's from the best-selling novel. Uh, Where the Crawdad Sings tells the story of Kea, an abandoned girl who raised herself to adulthood in the dangerous marshlands of North Carolina. For years, rumors of the marsh girl haunted Barkley Cove, isolating the sharp and resilient Kea from her community. Drawn to two young men from town, Kea opens herself to a new and startling world, but when one of them is found dead, she's immediately cast uh, by the community as the main suspect. 
And uh, as the case unfolds, the verdict as to what actually happened becomes increasingly unclear, threatening to reveal the many secrets that lay within uh, the marsh. Daisy Jones uh, is a uh, Number is the main actress in this, along with Harris Dickinson and and Taylor John Smith, directed by Olivia uh, Newman. It's got a 125-minute running time. Uh, I think that you can't do much better than that movie. Uh, if you're wanting to go see it, and especially if you if you're taking your wife or uh, you know your significant other out to see it, it's 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 kind of a chick. It sounds like a a chick kind of thing, although it also is a, a courtroom drama as well. Playing out uh, also at on the big screen, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris about an English woman who uh, all of her life is wanted to go to Paris and be on sit on the runway and look at all the new fashion and things of that nature. That's playing at uh, Riverdale 10 as well. And Paws of Fury for the kids. A good one for the kids. Uh, that uh, will be a lot of fun. Michael Cerna, of course, to use his voice in this. Samuel L. Jackson, Mel Brooks, uh, George Take, Take, I guess it is. Ricky uh, Gervais is in it. Rob Minkoff is the director. The story revolves around a scrappy young dog who fights to save a town from becoming the litter box of a nephrous feline warlord. So that should be uh, interesting. I've been seeing the uh, the trailers for it before a lot of the movies that I've been seeing this week. Uh, and then other movies that are out there. The Minions are still out there. I went and saw that last night with my grandson. I had already seen it. He got to see it now, and uh, he gave it two thumbs up. So he's five years old. That should let you know it's a good one that uh, your uh, kids or your grandkids would enjoy. Thor, Love and Thunder still out there. Uh, I've seen it. I gave it a C plus, B minus. Uh, I want a little bit more in the mythology of Thor and the Mar- in the Marvel comics, and uh, it really doesn't deliver it, but. It's an entertaining movie, nonetheless. Uh, Elvis is uh, playing on the big screen still. Uh, Baz Urban's a new uh, movie. I've heard good things about it. I haven't seen it yet. You can go see it and enjoy it. Uh, Dominion still out there. That's the Jurassic Park movie, the final third movie of that uh, trilogy. That was a fun movie to go see, seeing that they could bring the, the the old crew in with the new crew, so to speak, was a lot of fun. A movie that uh, you want to go see that uh, is a real thriller, Black Phone. That's good. Ethan Hawke is in it. It's very well done. And then still out at the theaters, raking in big bucks, uh, Top Gun Maverick still at the theater for you as well. That's a great movie to see also. I really, really enjoyed it. I've seen it twice now. Probably will go see it a third time, to be honest. I know a lot of people who have seen it at least twice. And, uh, you know, I like movies that wave the flag once in a while. I mean, really wave the flag. And this waves the flag, and you'll uh, uh, enjoy it. Uh, immensely so uh, keep that uh, in mind well we're just about out of time tomorrow i'll be in uh, at uh, nine o'clock with the uh, car and truck doctors we'll have all kinds of information about your cars for you uh, and we want to talk about uh, that i'll bring up 
this story I did today, uh, earlier on today, saying that we've hit the 5% mark on electric vehicles, and they're saying because we've done that, by 2025, over 25% of the cars on the road are going to be electric. I'm doubting that just because uh, we don't have the infrastructure to uh, support them yet, and they're expensive. $66,000 on average for an electric car. Just keep that in mind. I, I know that I don't have that kind of bread to just go out and buy a car. Uh, $66,000 as well as not knowing how many charging stations there's going to be, how far uh, an electric car really can go. I mean, heat will affect it. Cold will definitely affect it. Uh, you know, when they they check out how far you can go, they do it on a, a flat track and uh, check that out. What if you go into an area that there's a lot of hills and, and uh, mountains and things of that nature? How far is that track going to be going to be? I mean, if you've got a gas-powered engine, you know you can stop and fill up at the gas station. If you don't know where you're going to be able to plug into, that's a problem. And they're already talking in Texas and telling people with electric cars, don't plug your car in between 3 p.m. and 8 p.m., which is when the power grid is being used the most to stop from brownouts and blackouts happening in Texas. It's just crazy stuff. They're pushing it, but they're pushing it before they've got the infrastructure and everything uh, sitting there ready to go. And even Elon Musk is telling them, slow down. Slow down. All right. Out of time. Got to get out of here. Uh, You have a great weekend. Know that it's going to be warm out, but it's not going to be as warm as next week's going to be. Next week's going to be in the hundreds, and uh, it's going to be smoking here in Arkansas next week. I mean, we're talking maybe uh, heat indexes of 115, 117 degrees. You'll definitely want that air conditioning. Don't want any brownouts or blackouts during those times. So keep in mind, have a great time. I'll see you at 9 o'clock tomorrow with the uh, car and truck doctors. And then we'll convene on the Dave Ellswick Show again on Monday at 6 a.m. Power panel will be in. And uh, we're going to have a lot of other uh, guests join us as well. I keep you up to date. Content is king on the Dave Ellswick Show. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.